2 Corinthians 3.17, we read this last week in our, in our daily Bible readings. Um, this is not the passage for today, but uh, it was God gave it to someone uh, at the church, and he gave it to me to share with all of you this morning. So it says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen? Um, interesting thing about, about our relationship with God is that we really are free. We really are free in Christ. Um, you notice in all these stories this morning, the thing that really struck me, and, may, and hopefully this resonated with you as well, is just the humanity of us as humans. You know, we have just incredible foibles. And, you know, the way that God leads us by his Holy Spirit as we behold him with unveiled faces is, is so gentle and uncontrolling. <laughs> and sometimes so quiet, the whispers. In so many ways, we kind of, ignore him very easily in favor of doing what we want to do. But God has set us free uh, through the gospel, through the sacrifice of his son Jesus, to follow him. And he has said, and Paul, Paul the writer of this uh, epistle, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, follow Jesus. Choose to follow him. You know, God is not um, forcing people to follow him. He's not in that business. It's not his nature. But he is gently leading and he says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. And that's, that's a really striking thing about this uh, passage. So, uh, today, we are in uh, 2 Corinthians 9. We're going to be reading from 6 to 11. We're going to be talking about this topic of generosity that God invites us into in the church. And in this world in which we live, um, money and resources, or lack thereof, is a daily stressor for most people. It's a super pertinent topic for all of our lives. It's true for people in this world. It's true for people in the church because people in the church are part of the world. We're, we're part of this world in which we live, and everyone is stressed about money. Uh, it's a stressful and sometimes uncomfortable topic, so it's hardly ever talked about. Uh, people just don't bring it up, except when... Husbands and wives stay up late after the kids go to bed and talk about how scared they are about their money or their, or their credit cards or how things have gotten out of control. And we've got to change things. You know, things have got to change. Um, but otherwise, not talked about too much. You know, being a part of nonprofit charitable organizations such as this church or I'm, I'm on the board of the Code Blue Shelter for Shelters of Saratoga for Homeless Ministry, uh, I can tell you that there's a real stress for people that oversee finances in those kinds of places. Um, they want to encourage generosity among their people because they really believe in the mission that they're doing. Uh, but they are very sensitive about talking about money because it's uncomfortable, it offends people, it turns people off. But without money, the mission of that organization go is in question. And uh, the, the mission always requires resources to complete. That's the way it is. And people say all kinds of things in, in nonprofits that, that I've worked with um, about uh, stuff but they, they're trying not to appear like they're after money, ultimately. They're, they don't want to appear to be shysters or swindlers. And there has been a lot of people that have been shysters and swindlers, and we have really good reason to be suspicious 
of organizations and institutions when the topic of money comes up. Um, culturally, there's been a lot of things that have shaken our trust and broken our trust, and we feel like the little that we feel like we have to give, we don't want it to go somewhere that we think it's going, and that it doesn't end up there, and then we don't have enough to live on. That's a really big, legitimate fear with these kinds of things. People have good reasons to be nervous when people start soliciting money. I'm in the middle of a documentary on the 2000s, which is a very long time ago. <laughs> like, between 2000 and 2010 is the documentary on Netflix. And I watched a video about the 2007-2008 financial crisis. You remember that? Big problem. And I remember going through that, and I was, I was just, uh, didn't have any money in the market. I didn't have uh, anything vested in that system, so it didn't affect me. But uh, talk about trust being broken culturally with big institutions that people thought could never fail. Um, these poor people in their 70s, 80s, 80s uh, they were, had to go back to work after saving all this money for retirement. They, they, all, they went back to work, and they had to work kind of like hourly wage-type jobs after working their whole life for that retirement. It's a heartbreaking fact. And, and there are people in this church that lost tons of money, uh, friends that, that lost it all almost, they say it's the worst crisis since the Great Depression in 1929. But at least we can escape the painful financial realities of this world and the untrustworthiness by watching sitcoms on television, right? Like, many of us, the most comforting thing is to watch something nostalgic like reruns of Full House, right? <laughs> so sweet, so benign, distracts us from money problems, and then Aunt Becky does the unimaginable. You know, and even Aunt Becky can't be trusted. So if you're not familiar with the news on that, that's, that's for you to look into. So in summary, money is one of our biggest stresses as individuals, as families, as organizations. Our trust has been broken in terms of how we feel about giving due to many valid reasons. And we kind of decide in the week of feeling like we have little to give and we have fear about what's going to happen to us or where our money's going to go when we hold back in this area. But the Bible has a very surprising and more exciting and interesting way to look at money than we do. And uh, it, the topic is actually addressed in the Bible to people that are poor, people that are rich. It speaks to everybody. Uh, and what is said about generosity is really a game changer, though many people wouldn't take God up on what he says uh, for, for various reasons. It's, it really is a game changer for those who will uh, listen it doesn't matter what Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac or the Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns have to say. And it doesn't matter even what Aunt Becky says, even though we listened to her for years. God has a hopeful note, no pun intended, about money and generosity in his word that's otherworldly and is, even serves as a proof of his existence for people that doubt, for people that, whose faith is kind of stagnant. So... You know, what is it? What does God say about generosity and this topic in the Bible? Well, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been given a financial gift out of nowhere that was sorely needed? You ever experienced that? Jackie and I have. Or, or not just a financial gift, but something, uh, a resource of some kind that was given to you out of love that you just needed so badly. Uh, you, can, you can think back to that gift, and you might be in a totally different place right now, 
in regard to how stable you are financially. But you think back to that gift, and you, you think right back to the person, the people, if you know who they are, and you just feel thankfulness. You feel thanksgiving. Maybe if, if you were a believer at the time, it built your faith that God is a provider because hands and feet, God leaves that to his people. Our non-coercive, non-controlling God leaves many of these things to his people to do. As we pray, we become the answer to our prayers as God works mysteriously with us uh, doing his work in the world. So maybe you, maybe you have thanksgiving well up in your heart thinking about that gift. Uh, for me, you know, we, we had a couple years ago just so many car troubles, and my, the van that I purchased for our family after Elias was, after Cohen was born, that we needed to expand our size of car, uh, the guy that I bought it from was super shady, unfortunately, and he was not a good, good person to deal with, and the car ended up breaking down, and I was out, you know, thousands of dollars for this car. I think it was like almost $4,000, which I know is not, not very much um, for a car, but nonetheless, when the car is dead, and this is the second time this has happened to me in my life. I had my first car I bought for $3,000, and it died in the first two weeks, and I had no car. And there was nothing I could do about it because I you know, bought it from. But, you know, I got robbed less than a lot of people making lease payments, right? Ultimately? No. <laughs> I don't think I'm more wise, by the way. Um, anyway, this car, this car, this white Kia car broke down like... It overheated, and I had my headphones in. I was going to play a gig for a fundraiser for a pro bono lawyer thing in Albany, and um, I had my headphones in. I'm listening to a podcast. I didn't hear the ding. The car overheated, and it just, that's it. And my, it just so happened that my grandparents were upgrading their, were just getting, getting a lease for a car. They couldn't get in and out of their van anymore, their 2007 van, and they just said, hey, does anyone need this car? Like right then. And I got the car as a gift from my grandparents. Huge amount of thanksgiving on my part for that amazing gift. Um, and I think, I think so much love towards God, who, who sees and knows everything, to, to provide that for me. I may have told this story before, but when I was in seminary, uh, we, we were sort of struggling. We were definitely struggling financially just to, just to pay the rent and stuff. Uh, when, when we were in seminary, because we were kind of paying our way through seminary. And at one point, we were like, you know, we don't really have much money for groceries. This kind of stinks. And um, at the time, we were being mentored by an older ministry couple, and we didn't really, like, talk a lot about this stuff with them, but just sort of, we were going through it. Well, there was a time when my heart was sort of in my stomach, thinking, like, you know, I don't know what we're going to do here. And my mentor came to the house and popped his trunk, and there was a giant ham in the trunk, a magic ham. <laughs> and when you, when you ate the ham, it grew back the parts you ate. It was like the Hanukkah lamp, you know? Just kept on hamming. It's still in my fridge, hamming. <laughs> no, it's, it's not really, but I call, that, I call that the ham of possibility. It was the ham of possibility. And um, that man was God's hams and feet for me. Dad joke night is going to be on the 17th, right? All right. So I got this ham and some other, like, essentials. And you know what? It was really significant because my mentor didn't realize how much that meant to us. But when your heart's in your stomach and you're thinking about finances, and you guys understand this, you get this, like, sign that God is aware of your situation. And it's often through just another person because God 
gently is speaking to people saying, hey, you know, do this. And then he does it and he reaches us in amazing ways. So the ham of possibility, it was uh, the giving ham, like that Shel Silverstein book, you know. Um, just would, would chop off some, make some breakfast with it, make some ham sandwiches for lunch, ham on the outside, ham on the inside. We'd have ham for dinner. We couldn't sleep at night. We were hungry. We could go eat some ham. There was so much ham, you know. Um, yeah, the ham of possibility. It's great. It's a great meat. It kind of stays for a long time, you know. So I really recommend ham. Um, but I remember the scripture that comes to mind is God says, never, never a righteous man forsaken, never his children begging for bread, you know. Like God took care of us even through that ham, and he helped us through a season where money was tight. Praise God for that. But this feeling uh, that we had when we were given the ham of possibility, it, it welled up within us the opposite of what that feeling of just scraping by is. Just a ham. It brought us into a place of abundance. And in that simple conservative gift given in great love, um, it still erupts my heart in thanksgiving to think about that. This is also how God works in terms of our generosity. We will find from the scripture that when we give to God, uh, when we give to him in meeting needs of people around us, in meeting the needs of that, the ministries we're called to, the ham doesn't run out. This is God's surprising promise from scripture. And it's a promise that we have that other people don't necessarily have because they don't know the Lord and they're not living for him. But though we may be poor, we're made rich in Christ in order that we might continue to be generous in various ways, not just financially. And it always results in this feeling of freedom and thanksgiving for every Christian that will take God up on this offer from his word. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 9, 6-11. It says this, uh, in the midst of a conversation Paul is having about an offering that's being given to support the church, in another city, to the Corinthians. He says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. So God has a lot of things to say about generosity in this passage. What are some of the things that God says in this passage? I'll open it up. Be a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. You give generously and reap generously, yeah? And the converse, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Anything else? What's that? Grateful heart? Joyful heart. Kathy? Not under compulsion. Compulsion sounds like a fun motivation, doesn't it? Guilt, yeah. People do give out of compulsion and guilt, right? Common, common thing. What else? 
That's right. That's a really interesting thing, and that's what separates. You, you've heard people talk like, oh, that's a prosperity preacher and all that kind of thing. And this is a generosity gospel, not a prosperity gospel. It's saying God supplies to you as a conduit, then you give, and then he supplies more so you can keep giving. It's kind of like the way God works. Like it says, uh, in, our, in, our, in our troubles we are comforted, and we can give, then we can give comfort to other people with the same comfort that we receive from God. It's like this principle where God gives us something, then we're able to give it out to other people. The first thing that we can see uh, that God cares about in a, in a huge way is, as was said uh, by some of you guys, how we give. God doesn't just say in this passage, I don't care how you feel about it, just give. You know? God's not like the father, well, the father, the hypothetical father that doesn't exist and is not me, who says, just do it, because I said to do it to my kids, right? That's parenting at its finest. But why do we have to just do it, okay? Just do it. Because otherwise you'll drop juice concentrate on the floor and it's going to be more work for me. So don't, don't touch that, you know. That's not God's method of parenting because he's a much better father than I am. Uh, he doesn't say, I don't care how you feel about it, just give. In fact, Jesus rebuked religious leaders of his day, Jesus being God, as we, as we know. God rebuked religious leaders of his day for their heart's motivation in giving, being off. They were, they were tithing to, certain, to the temple, but they were neglecting matters of justice. So they, they were basically saying, we'll fulfill the letter of the law, but we're not going to be generous in general. And Jesus rebuked them for that. They weren't cheerful givers. They weren't conduits for God's grace. Uh, God cares about our heart's motivations very deeply. And cheerfulness is something that should accompany a true believer's heart in anything they do for God. Because all the things God asks us to do are about loving others and loving him in the Bible. And so it's all about cheerfully loving God, loving others. So when we give, it's no different than any other commandment that we give out of a, a cheerful heart. God doesn't want to force people or twist people's arms, and he doesn't. But instead, he invites everyone to something greater. That's God's way. So the heart attitude that we display when we give is of utmost importance. And it says that God wants a cheerful giver. So God wants, according to this passage, he wants us to decide what we're going to give in our heart. So that's, that's like intentionality. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and then two, to give it cheerfully with faith and hope and trust in the God who supplies us. Um, so this is interesting. Uh, there's also some ways that you guys pointed out that God tells us that we shouldn't give to him in this passage. One of them is, in verse 6, he says, don't give sparingly. So, when we give sparingly, in, in any form, it kind of shows our heart is not in the right place. We're holding back as much as we can because our heart is not really in it. And this does not have to do with the amount of money or resources people give away at all. The widow who Jesus saw giving her last two copper coins to the temple treasury in Mark 12 was said by Jesus, by God, to be giving more than all the others because that money was all she had to live on, unlike others who were giving a conservative amount from their plenty of money. That, that woman, Jesus said, was giving more than everybody else. It's not about amount of resources that people give. Sparingly is not an amount of money. Sparingly is an attitude and a mentality. 
You can give sparingly when you are rich, even if it's a large dollar amount. And you can give to the Lord sparingly when you're poor and you feel like you shouldn't give anything because it's too tight, you know? It's, it's something that kind of uh, works for all of us. Sparingly says, I'll give God whatever is left over after I've spent everything else the way I needed to or wanted to. That's the attitude of sparingly. Sparingly is a poverty mentality that says there's never enough and the buck, no pun intended, no pun intended, stops with me. So I'll give to God the least amount possible in order to avoid financial ruin or trouble or anxiety. Sparingly says, I have not made a plan for giving to God, but he can have the last few dollars and cents in my pocket as an afterthought. This passage says if we sow sparing, with an attitude of sparingly, we will reap sparingly. It's kind of a simple statement he makes. If you do not want to see what God can do in your life in this area, just continue to give as you are giving. Continue giving sparingly. Or not at all. But if you do that, you'll miss out on the experience with God. That's what I believe. That's what I've experienced. God never forces us to give. He wants a free will choice. He wants it to be done cheerfully with expectancy about what God will do when we step out in faith. This really interesting thing to think about is that God wants every believer to have a giving ministry. Resources and finances. He wants every believer to be like a storehouse, an importer and an exporter. Every believer. He wants, he's looking for people. What does cheerful giving mean? He's looking for people who are like, oh, God's the provider. Okay, I got this money. I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to wait for him to give me more stuff to give away. He's looking for people that trust him so fully and know that he is a generous father who wants to bless the world through people. So he wants us all to have a personal giving ministry. God does not want us to give reluctantly. One of you mentioned that. Um, to give with annoyance uh, that we should be expected to give, you know, that kind of motivation. God does not want us to hit the button on our online giving or our bank account or sign a check while we're rolling our eyes. Like, oh, I just have to do this because God commands it, you know? Um, he has a better plan for us. And a heart attitude always matters for God. And, and as, as you guys said, he doesn't want us to give under compulsion. Sometimes people give out of a sense of duty, they give because that's what they've been taught to do, even though they don't like it. And they think, they think it's right, but they just don't, they haven't connected with it in their heart. Um, they give because they have a religious motivation, or they're trying to avoid being scolded by God for not giving. And that's not what God wants. Let's go back to our passage and read through it again with these things in mind. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. It's really kind of hard to believe. I don't know if you caught that. When you decide in your heart to give a generous amount according to your particular means, without reluctance, without compulsion, and with cheerfulness, God makes a promise. And his promise is that he will make a way for us to continue being generous. 
one way or another. It's hard to believe that this is a promise in Scripture, but this is something that is said throughout the Bible. And this is not magical thinking. This is just one of the ways that God works in our world. This is not, as I said, a prosperity gospel, but it is a, um, a generosity gospel. It says when we give generously, when we show ourselves to be good stewards of God's resources, that God will allow us to continue in that ministry, in our personal giving ministries. And God says that the basis for giving generously to him is faith, uh, that when we give to him, that he will bless us abundantly, so that in all things, in all ways, in all times, having all we need, we will abound in every good works. So we are generous so that, so that we can continue being generous with the resources God gives us. Uh, one of our big things as a denomination, our core values is everything belongs to God. We are only caretakers. You know, God thinks of us, and this is not the way that the world thinks at all, but God thinks of us as like a pipe through whom his blessings can flow. And he wants every kind of blessing to flow through that pipe. God, God would like it if every time we prayed for somebody, we thought to ourselves, and what can I do? Not just financially. If someone calls and says, I need healing prayer, or I'm having trouble uh, with something financially, or I'm having trouble with my car, or, or I'm having trouble with a leak in my roof or my house, that we'd pray for that person, yes, and then we'd say, and how can we be the hands and feet? And then God loves to meet us in those moments and make great things happen. God delights in people who are willing to trust him, especially with their finances, whether big or small, and give generously. And to those people, God will use them in this way of being a conduit of his grace. And what's the basis, and what's our example for this practice? And this is where it gets really interesting, that God doesn't just ask this of us, but he did it himself, ultimately, in Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was God in the flesh. He was God. Okay, so pretty rich. Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's an amazing thing. God, in Philippians 2, emptied himself to become obedient to death on the cross, to pay the debt of our sins that we could not pay, so that we could, and, and also to give us the righteousness of Christ in our lives so that we have all the riches of Jesus' righteousness in us. God, our example, did this for us. And he says, do the same with everything I give you. Sacrifice it and let me work through it to bless other people. It reminds me of when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He said, now that you have seen me, your Lord, do this, you do likewise. You know, get down and do it. God did it for us. So Jesus... Uh, is our example of giving everything for people that he loves and even for his enemies. And he's also our provider. That when we follow in the way of Jesus and decide to live in this kind of way uh, with generosity of spirit, that he will provide us so that we can continue being generous in an unending flow. Here's a picture from my childhood. I'm fond of that, as you can tell. This is a picture that I felt God gave me. And this is exactly the type of well that is at my parents' house. It's an 1800s house. And uh, it's very pretty. Uh, it's got the long handle on it. When I was a kid, I loved this well because uh, if you, you pour a, like a cup of water into the top of the thing, 
It's called priming the well. And it's like magic. And then you just start pulling the thing. And sometimes it needs a little bit more. You pour some more water in. You keep doing it. Finally, it just gushes with water. It's this amazing kind of thing for a little kid. And I used to love working that well when I was a little one. And I really feel that that is just an example of how God's kingdom works. You know, we, we have just a little bit of resources in this world. You know, we don't have a lot. And we pour those things out. Uh, in faith, trusting in God and, and believing that we have a personal giving ministry uh, that God's calling us to. And as we do, his abundance comes forth in surprising ways, seemingly by magic, from the deep depth of God's well. Um, everything belongs to God. And when people prove themselves to be uh, faithful stewards, he gives them more and he trusts them. It's all just a matter of how deep you want to go in your relationship with God. But it's never more true than it is with, um, with money. When it comes to money, this is like the thing that shows us where our heart's at. Jesus said of one thing, you can't serve both me and this thing. And that thing was money. Most of the Gospel of Luke is about money. Why don't we ever talk about it? Because it's uncomfortable. But it's, in, it's all through the Bible, and it's all we talk about behind closed doors at home. So why not talk about it here? Why not talk about how we can become a generous person? So that when someone has a memory of something that God did for them, they think of you, and then they think of God, and then they have thanksgiving, and they pay it forward. You know, that's why I'm going to fill my trunk with hams. You get a refrigerated trunk in my free minivan from my grandmother and fill it with hams so I can pay those hams forward, baby. Now, what if we just decided to think about that thing that was so amazing that someone did for us, and then just find someone to do that for how, how, how inspiring is it to see news stories of people that do astoundingly generous things? It just makes you worship God and see his image. Um, so God, God says, you know, for you this morning, what does it look like for you to exercise faith? Um, there's no prescription. It's all about what we decide to do. That's what it's all about. And we decide what to give. We do it regularly. We do it cheerfully. We, we, we make a way for us to meet needs in our budget for people around us as, as they might need it. He wants us to do it generously, cheerfully, intentionally, regularly, so we can continue to be a pipe for God's resources to flow in the world. And this week, I would encourage you to take this passage and just read through it. Read through other passages in the Bible. There's one in Malachi that talks about how, you know, we're not supposed to test God, but you can test me on this one, he says. Give to me and see if I will bless you. I will, he says. And um, as we walk in this kind of faith and this kind of moving, you, can, you begin to see a deeper uh, truth, which is that when we pray to God for other people or for ourselves, there's an element where God is saying, what are you going to do along with me? Um, how can we meet this need together? Uh, the God of the universe likes to work in this kind of way. So I'm going to close this in prayer, and uh, we'll just, I just encourage you to go back to the scripture and talk to God about it. And remember, you know, God set you completely free. There's no compulsion. There's no pressure. Like, you can do whatever you want. God's amazing that he would set us free to, 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 to really choose what we're going to do. It's amazing. It's amazing to me. Uh, he, he says, 
you know, you'd think the God of the universe would say, you should do this, and this is what you should do, and this is what's acceptable to me. But he says, everyone should decide in their heart what to give and then do it cheerfully. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I would never want to take advantage of a God that was so gracious um, by just not, not exploring this topic. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless your people, God. These are amazing people, God, that you have given to, to this church, to me. Um, the churches of Saratoga, we pray for them as well, God. I pray that Christians around the world would become pipes of blessing. I pray that we would, we would at least as far as it depends on us, God, that we would first recognize that everything belongs to you and then recognize that we are only caretakers and then, then figure out ways to be generous. Um, to meet the real needs around us. That your kingdom would expand at New Life Fellowship, your church in Saratoga Springs, and the world. That we would be able to feed the hungry and um, take care of the orphans and the widows and all of the things you've called us to, which really require, they require money. And we, we pray that you would give us a generosity collectively as a church that meets needs and keeps the ministry going and thriving, God. And we lift all these things up. We recognize Christ who gave it all for us and then says, you go do, and like, you go do likewise. Um, let us be followers of him, Lord, not, not people that are riding on private jets and living in you know, mansions and just glorying in all these possessions, but people that, um, people that just recognize that we were blessed to be a blessing. We've been given so that we can give. Um, that we can mirror Jesus in this way, who emptied himself, became obedient to death on a cross for us. In so doing, made us all very rich um, in our spirit. And has given us salvation. Um, we're so grateful. We want to reflect that. We want to reflect the cross and how we even live in this way. Thank you for your love. Thank you for everyone who's here. Let a blessing rest on each one. And let us, let us uh, learn how to use our freedom to walk in the fullness that you have called us to. In Jesus' name, amen.